Misfits. Welcome to episode four of the Misfit Book Club. Today, we're discussing The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. If you missed our background episode, go listen to episode three. You won't regret it. Otherwise, buckle up, be ready for spoilers, and let's get this party started. Blackheart, and welcome to the Misfit Book Club, a podcast for readers, weirdos, blue stockings, normals, scribbling women, madmen, loons, screwballs, and every type of bookish person in between. This is episode four, and I'm joined by my co-host, Pixie Berger. Hey, Misfits. If you're new to the podcast, we're glad you're here. We're just two friends who failed out of a ton of book clubs, so we decided to start our own. If you're too busy, too opinionated, or just too shy to go to a normal book club, you're in the right place. What's up, Dr. Maria? You know, not a lot. You visited, which was super exciting. It was. It was so nice to see your face. I didn't want you to leave. I was like, can't you just stay and live here? I'll feed you tacos every day. Oh my gosh, you you can't make promises like that, you know. (laughs) I know how to win your love. You know how much I love a taco. The only other thing I have to report is uh, college football season started. It did. And I can't even begin to tell you how much self-control I had to exert to not scream my voice out. Yeah, you actually went to a game. I did. You're an actual fan. I, yes. Although it feels real bad right now because both of my teams lost. So I'm sorry. Why do I even try? But you've had a much more adventurous two weeks than I have. I yeah, think. it has been. A lot has happened. Um, as you mentioned, I got to see you. We were in the same town. I don't know that we've told our listeners this, but Maria and I live in different states. So when we're yeah. recording, we aren't looking at each other. We're not even in this, not even close to being in the same room. So it was really nice to get to be in the same room with you for a little while and get to see my friends. So, um, but yeah, I was there because I was moving. I had been kind of in a temporary living situation and finally have been able to get a permanent living situation. So I had to move all my stuff from the town where Maria lives and mm-hmm. I hired a U-Haul or rented a U-Haul, I guess. And I hired two guys to fill it up with stuff and <laughs> I drove it all the way to my state where I live now. But yeah, it was it was I was not looking forward to it because they gave me this really big truck. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know that I can do this. But I kept amping myself up. I was like, yes, I can. I can be like a boss lady truck driver. Like I can drive a huge truck <laughs> by myself. <laughs> so anyway after I had gotten these guys to help me load up the truck it was all ready to go and we were texting you and I were texting you were like do you need any help and I was like no I'm good I got it like I'm leaving I'll see you later I'm not kidding I put my phone down and two seconds later I put my foot on the accelerator and immediately ran over two gigantic concrete pylons You did not. (laughs) I ripped them straight out of the ground. (laughs) No, it was a huge mess. (laughs) Oh my god, Pixie. And like I I just heard this horrible noise and just felt this huge shudder and was like, oh shit. (laughs) 
what have I done? <laughs> and yeah, I just had like grabbed and kind of clipped these pylons with the back loading dock of my truck. And I just started screaming and freaking out. And I ran to the front desk of the storage unit and was like, I am so embarrassed. But I just like ripped a six foot hole of like concrete in your, <laughs> in your parking lot. And oh my the God. lady was like, oh, I'm sure it's not that bad. And I was like, oh, it's kind of bad. And so I brought her out there and she was like, oh, no. She was horrified. Oh, no. All of that is to say, it was nothing that couldn't be fixed. Like those That's pylons good. are the kinds of things they put in front of Walmart so that crazy people don't drive through the front door. Except for you, Pixie. Except- <laughs> you and a U-Haul, they have no idea what you are capable of. <laughs> good Lord. I drove like six feet and managed to pull up two concrete pylons like by the roots. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh because I don't want to mess up the edit, but I'm dying. No, it was so bad. And like, I've never caused an accident that big in my whole life. So (laughs) I was definitely like, oh, whoops. And I didn't. It's not like I destroyed one of the units. Like, I didn't tear up anybody's stuff. And the truck was fine. The truck was like, "Hmm, no big thing. I don't know. It may just be a hole in the ground forever at this place. Do you want me to drive by and look at it? I mean, you I'm can. Gonna, I probably am anyway. You probably just can. To, to see the damage, but. It's pretty bad. It was pretty terrible, I gotta say. I was I was kind of a prey. I was impressed by myself. Like, that's a huge mess that I just made. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, so yeah, that happened. And, um, well, it was just funny to me because I literally was talking to you seconds before it happened it's like everything's good i'm leaving bye and then just and then i destroyed it so anyway that is what happened to me last week but oh i can't could have been worse i can't wait to tell my husband that story yeah he'll like it (laughs) sorry pixie but i cannot wait to share (laughs) totally fine i just wish i had a picture i was too like you know discombobulated to stop and take a photo of the damage but girl i got you i'm gonna take a picture yeah it for may you. still I'm be sure there. It's still there probably i'll go i'll go check that out like in the next couple days i'll get you your memento i'll just pick up one of the pylons and take it <laughs> in case you want it for your yard instead yep. of a flamingo yeah the spoils of war well that's a great story thank you for sharing that with all of us no problem it's anonymous, and so nobody really knows who I am anyway. I know. Isn't it nice? Yeah. I don't know why everybody isn't anonymous on their podcast, so yeah. we can speak truth. It's true. And we're about to speak truth about The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which is our read for this month. So if you uh, haven't listened to the background episode, go do that. Like, stop right now. We'll be here when you get back. So you can... Uh, hear all about the book and the inspiration behind the book and about Angie Thomas. This is her debut novel, which is crazy. But in case you just want to keep powering on, we will uh, read the back matter of the book for you now. Okay. So 16-year-old Star Carter moves between two worlds, the poor neighborhood where she lives and the fancy suburban prep school she attends. The uneasy balance between these worlds is shattered when Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend Khalil at the hands of a police officer. Khalil was unarmed. Soon afterward, his death is a national headline. 
Some are calling him a thug, maybe even a drug dealer and a gangbanger. Protesters are taking to the streets in Khalil's name. Some cops and a local drug lord try to intimidate Star and her family. What everybody wants to know is, what really went down that night? And the only person alive who can answer that is Star. But what Star does or does not say could upend her community. It could also endanger her life. All right. So I thought maybe we'd start with our general general reactions to it. So Pixie, what did you think of it? I enjoyed it so much. I was riveted. The writing is so easy to get wrapped up in. And Angie Thomas is really good at telling a story. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing that the story just begins with Khalil, Khalil's murder and just kind of keeps going high voltage from there. And I think we talked about this in the last episode, but I'm just so excited to see a YA title that takes on contemporary issues in such a realistic and compelling way because mm-hmm. it's important. And one thing that, you know, doesn't come up very often when these stories happen in the news, which is all the time, really, is that a lot of the people involved in these shootings are teenagers or really mm-hmm. young people. Um, and that's something that had, I guess, kind of not... I hadn't thought about that very much, but talking about it as a YA book, as a subject that is relevant to teenagers who are definitely in danger, I thought that was really, really genius and shed some new light on the subject for me. Well, yeah, I was doing a little bit of research into the Black Lives Matter movement, and we will get to that a little bit later. But one of the um, people who was shot kind of around the time of the origin of the Black Lives Matter movement was a kid named Tamir Rice. He was 12, 12 years old on a playground, shot to death by police. Yeah. Michael, um, Michael Brown was like a senior in high school or he had just graduated. I mean, he was 18. Yeah. So it is a relevant subject for, for teenagers. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, not just a grown up subject. I, totally echo all of those sentiments i loved it um i loved that it was really character driven so there's so much ya where you know the characters there's the really smart but somehow incredibly beautiful ya heroine there's the broody ya male who you know is kind of a bad boy and you probably shouldn't like him but the ya heroine does and then you've got her like real smart alecky best friend and on and on and on i mean they don't feel real but every character in the hate you give jumped off the page you know absolutely from star's family Mm -hmm. to khalil's grandmother oh and you know star herself you know i liked star as a main character but i didn't always like her throughout the course of the book and that's the sign of a really robust believable character in a book yeah I totally agree. Star was like a real person to me throughout the story, as were her family members, like everybody in the story. I had to keep reminding myself that it was fiction. We talked to a bunch of our fellow misfits on Instagram, and they had a lot to say about this, too. So Laura at Dame Cato said, you know, I loved Angie Thomas's characterization by shoe, which I thought was hysterical because (laughs) Star is such a shoe hound. It was just such a nice attention to detail because I know that when I love something, I pay attention to that with other people, too. Right. I thought that was a really smart observation from Laura. Mm-hmm. 
that was? Um, let's see. Uh, Janelle at XO Nelly XO said, uh, the hate you give hooked me immediately. I was able to relate to the main character and her family. The writing drew me in. Yeah, definitely. Um, Whitney from the Unread Shelf. Is that right? Yeah, she said, it's definitely different than most fiction I read, but with the vernacular and settings, which is one reason I picked it up. But Star's story is so powerful. It's so good to see it through her eyes. Definitely. That was a really good observation from Whitney. You know, the vernacular is interesting. I also found this book extremely funny. There were laugh out loud moments in the middle of all this horrible stuff going on. And that is really hard to carry off. Well, and that's what life is, right? Mm -hmm. Even in the most tragic, horrible moments, there are moments of, of joy, too. And it feels so weird, but that's just the way life is. Yeah, it's the only way to get through some things is to just mm-hmm. be able to laugh sometimes. Oh, my gosh. When uh, her when Star's dad talks about Hogwarts being just gangs. I love and he's that like, theory. That was brilliant. <laughs> I felt I was like nodding my head. I was like, yes, 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 you're absolutely right. These are gangs. And he's like, why didn't somebody just shoot Voldemort? And I was like, that is an excellent question. <laughs> We're both Ravenclaws. So, yeah, that's right. We would never snitch. As he pointed out. Yeah. Harry and Hermione and Ron never snitch on each other. So, no, something to be said for that. Ride or die. Mm hmm. Yes, ma'am. God, you're right. The book was so, so funny. And I also think, you know, Whitney brings up another good point, which is part of the reason this story is so powerful is you get it from Star's perspective. Yes. If Star wasn't telling us the story, I don't know that it would have been as good of a book. I mean, there were three or four times in the book when I was positive her mom was going to die. Her dad was going to die. Seven was going to die. Someone else was going to get lost really tragically. And then they would be, you know, okay. And I'd be like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Right? But you don't get that unless you're right there with the character. Exactly. And there's something to be said for having the character be the center who is the only one who knows the truth. Yeah. And having no idea how to handle that truth, how to release it, and what it's going to do to herself and her family. We weren't planning on talking about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Is when Star goes back to her school, she, people ask her specifically, like, did you know him? And she says, no, I didn't. You know, even to her really, really close friends, she says no. And that causes a lot of heartache for her until she comes clean. And I, you know, I wonder if I had seen that kind of trauma, you know, would I lie about it? Yeah. I think Star is in such a particular position because there's Williamson Star, which is her prep school, and then there's Garden Heights Star. And if she starts talking about it at her prep school, then it's just kind of reminding everyone around her that she's associated with this world that they don't know, that they don't understand, that they're quick to stereotype and... Part of what we get from her is that she just does not want them to see her as ghetto star, right? That's mm-hmm. the the one thing that she's afraid of is them kind of putting her in this box. So Star has a lot to navigate with her two worlds. And that, you know, brings us to code switching. 
And code switching is just this theory that says that we are different people in different situations, in different scenarios. And we all code switch, right? Yeah. So the person I am with my mom isn't the person I am with my friends. I mean, I'm still Maria. I'm just different versions of Maria. And I'm certainly like when we I was teaching in a college classroom, I would never act like I do on this podcast. Right. Nobody would have taken me seriously. So we all code switch, but it's different when you're code switching racially. And there's a lot of psychological damage that happens too. And Star feels that, right? You know, on some level, she play acts somebody different than she really is. And she feels a lot of stress to keep that up. But then when she goes back to Garden Heights, you know, is she's not exactly Garden Heights either. Right. And she exists in the space where it's hard for her to feel okay. Yeah. Like that scene where she's in her father's door and Kenya's there and she's giving her all this grief about staying quiet about Khalil, you know, and Kenya is making these accusations like if this happened to one of your prep school friends, you would be talking about it, which I don't think is true, first of all. But it definitely went straight to the heart of of the guilt that Star was feeling. In a really unfair way. Very can, unfair. Can we just say that? Yes, absolutely. But yeah, it's this is Star's predicament throughout the book is trying to figure out her voice, like how she's going to fit in and where. That's a, a teenager dilemma, right? But hers mm-hmm. is just writ large. So one of the things that we've discussed is how this book has been inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a pretty controversial movement based on... A lot of media reports, people have their ideas about what the Black Lives Matter movement is. And a lot of the end of the book resembles what happened in Ferguson after Michael Brown was shot. Michael Brown was a teenager, as we've already mentioned. He was shot by a police officer. He was unarmed. And a lot of protests broke out there in Ferguson, Mm -hmm. Missouri. But he's not the only one, right? There are so many police shootings every single year when the victims are unarmed Black men and teenagers. Yeah. Um, a, a reporter for the Washington Post, his name is Wesley Lowry. He actually won a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement and police shootings in Ferguson. He and the Washington Post found that you are 2.5 times more likely to be shot and killed by a police officer if you're black. Like, let that sink in for a second. 2.5 times. That's crazy. That's not just someone's opinion. No. And Star in the book talks about the talk, right? Mm-hmm. The If you're pulled over by a cop, you know, you need to be polite. You need to comply. You need to do whatever you need to do to be safe. And that's, I don't think that's unusual. Wesley Lowry writes, wrote this book. I think it came out in 2016. And it's uh, called They Can't Kill Us All. And like a quarter of the way in, he talks about how he had the talk. And it's the same talk that Star's parents have with her. And it's the same talk that millions and millions of black parents have to have with their kids. I think Angie Thomas gives us a good insider's look at it. Yeah. But the, I mean, the fact remains that this is the situation in America today. It just is. Right. And, you know, aside from the the killings, right, the police officers involved hardly ever 
have legal ramifications that they have to deal with. A lot of them obviously deal with a lot personally, and right. I'm sure many of them feel guilt. Some of them are not even fired from their jobs. You know, one of the problems is police departments in this country have very little federal oversight. So there aren't really tons and tons of regulations that tell police departments how to police. So it's hard to have, there's not really legal precedent for how to handle these sort of misconduct cases. Right? Right. And that's why every 28 hours, a black person is killed by police, security guards, or vigilantes in this country. And the thing is, like, you know, this is just an evolved step in the violence. So we forget that lynchings were still going on up until 1968. Mm -hmm. And something like 77% of all lynchings were lynchings of black people, mainly black men. Like 1968, that's 50 years ago. There are people on this planet that were alive while lynchings were still happening on the reg. Absolutely. There are probably people who've seen them that don't want to talk about them. It's, yeah. It's history is long, but the history of racism in America like persists, right? It's not as though we're in a post-race age. I think a lot of people felt like maybe we were like with Barack Obama as president. It's funny you say that because I feel like the people who do say that we're in a post-racial society are almost always white. And to them, it's it's like a relief because suddenly they can end the conversation It's like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. we're done talking about this stuff. Like, it's exhausting. It's difficult. Like, when things like this happen, we are reminded once again, like, yeah, this stuff is real. It's it's actually happening. Um, People of color have experiences that they could tell you about that prove that absolutely not. We're not living in a post-racial society at all. Can we, speaking of that, can we talk about Haley for a second? Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh my god, yes, we can talk Speaking about Haley. Speaking of privilege, Haley is Star's friend at high school, right? But we learned that Haley's got some problems. Haley's white. Their friendship is kind of falling apart because Star knows that Haley at some point has unfollowed her Tumblr, which is cute, right? That's like such a that's such a high schooler thing to be like, uh, my best friend unfollowed my Tumblr and I wanna know why, right? But that's totally real. That's like getting playground divorce. Exactly. And following Tumblr. Like when you're in kindergarten, it's when you untie somebody's shoes. Right. You are no longer friends. Like in elementary school, you broke someone's Crayola. Yeah. You're dead to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, middle school, high school, Tumblr. Right. That's the thing. And it's this this obstacle in their relationship because Star knows that this has happened and she thinks she knows why. And it's because she posted something about Emmett Till. And she turns out she's kind of right. I think we should stop for a second and talk about Emmett Till because I'm not sure everybody knows that story. Yeah. Emmett Till in 1955, he was 14 years old. He went to a corner store. He uh, ended up being accused by the woman who was running the corner store, who was a 21 year old white woman of like whistling at her and flirting with her. Now, keep in mind, in 1955, like this was a dangerous, dangerous accusation. So she levies this accusation. Her husband and a couple of his cronies find Emmett Till, who, again, is 14 years old. He's a kid. Lynch him, beat him, throw him in a lake or a river. I can't remember. A body of water. 
They don't find him for days. And his mom demands that the funeral is open casket because she wants everybody to see what these men did to her child. The men uh, get off scot-free. Mm-hmm. And later, many, many, many years later, it comes out that the woman who accused Emmett Till of flirting with her and whistling at her lied. Like that came out very recently. Yeah, it did. Like within the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So Haley unfollows Star's Tumblr because she posts pictures of Emmett Till. And she doesn't want to see that shit. Yeah. She says. To their Chinese heritage friend, Maya. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, Haley, come on. Doesn't Haley ask her if she like eats dog at Thanksgiving C- or something cat. horrible? Yes. I think she's like, did you have a cat for Thanksgiving? Ha ha. Like, come on. And she's like, like, I'm just like kidding. Haley, so teenagers, a lot is going on in their minds. I got, I get that, right? And, but she doesn't want to talk to Star. All she cares about is defending herself. And that is something that lasts until adulthood. Like, and that's probably one of the biggest roadblocks in these conversations is people are so quick to defend themselves and to say, I'm not racist. Like, I'm not a racist that they completely forget to listen to other people. And Haley has no, she has no desire to listen. Haley's actually really an interesting character because I feel like all of us know someone like Haley. Do you think if Haley had really, truly apologized that she and Star could ever have reconciled like, and been friends again? That's, I mean, it's hard. Maybe. Um, Haley's personality doesn't seem like one to me that promises much in that regard. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's, you know, some room as far as like the, the close future for them. Probably not. What do you think? Well, at the initially at the beginning of the book, I was cutting Haley a lot of slack because mm-hmm. Star at that point hadn't said that she was there. And Haley's trying to figure out how to navigate around that while probably parroting what her parents have been saying in the home. Sure. You know, so I was like, you know, like, yeah, the, she's acting like a giant douchebag, but Star hasn't really given her full context. So she's not reading the situation right you know, maybe once Star comes out and says, hey, I was there. It was Khalil. Haley will be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That changes everything for me because now I know this person. I'm going to fight for you, you know. So I was trying to give Haley the benefit of the doubt at the beginning. Once Star comes clean and Haley doesn't adjust at all, I was like, no, somebody needs to beat this girl up. And then Star does. And I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's kind of the problem of of empathy, right? People think that if you can empathize with someone, then that's going to fix everything. But at the end of the day, we ought to try to understand people with whom we can't empathize at all. But really, mm-hmm. we ought to take care of people and care about people and give them respect because they're human beings, not because we relate to them or we completely understand them, but because they have dignity as a human being and that should be enough but even for Haley a little bit of empathy doesn't work so she's got a glitch a lot of times that glitch is privilege like she hasn't ever had to be afraid right she doesn't have anywhere near the same kind of experiences that star does and because she doesn't like there's this divide there and that's not to say that it that 
you know, oh, you can't be friends with, you can't be close with people who don't have the same life experiences as you. I don't think you're saying that, you know, I'm certainly not saying that, but Haley just doesn't even begin to have the tools she needs to understand what Star is going through. And then once Star tries to give her those tools, Haley doesn't care to have them. And that's really the big problem. Mm -hmm. Like if a person of color walks up to you and says, you are misunderstanding what life is like for me. The response isn't, no, I get it. I read the Atlantic. (laughs) Right. It shouldn't be at least. (laughs) No, the response is, I'm sorry, tell me. But it's also okay to acknowledge that you're never going to get it. Right. Like, I'm never going to know what it's like to be a black man in America. Right. I had a really interesting, I had a great experience at McDonald's like three days ago. So in preparation for this podcast, I've been trying to read a bunch of books. My education was such that I didn't learn a lot about black experience in America until I was in grad school. So I grabbed uh, a bunch of books from the library and started kind of plowing through them, one of which was that Wesley Lowry book that I mentioned earlier, and I carried it with me to McDonald's, which, you know, lunch of champions or whatever. So McDonald's sponsors this podcast. I'm just kidding. They don't. No one sponsors us. Even if they offered, <laughs> I would be like, no. And then when they're like a lot of money, I'd be like, bup, 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 whatever their theme song is now. I would be so excited for McDonald's to sponsor us. Sorry. Me too. I'd be like, how many? Can you pay me an apple pie? So you don't even have to pay me real money. Anyway, so I'm at McDonald's and there was a gentleman who was working at McDonald's and he was a black guy, probably our age. And he was like, that book, what are you reading? And I showed it to him. He's like, you're not reading that. And I was like, yeah, I am. And he's like, I can't believe you're reading that book. Like, I've read that book. Wow. He literally said to me, like, I am shocked that you care. It brings up again that people are really having these experiences. It's not just some sort of weird construction, media construction or whatever people call it. Like, Exactly. I think that is kind of what I was trying to say earlier, which is that even if real empathy is impossible, Like, I can't experience those things. I'm a white woman who lives in a southern city. Just because I can't understand those experiences fully doesn't mean that I can opt out from trying to learn about those experiences, trying to hear those voices and believing them. When people say this is what happens to me on the regular, when let me tell you a little bit about my life and my experience. Like, it's my obligation Mm -hmm. to learn and to listen and to not pass judgment. And so what I took away from the hate you give is that sometimes bitches need punch in the face. <laughs> sometimes. Is that is that a theme? If you are a high schooler listening to this, please write your English essay. Please <laughs> say, I learned that the theme of this book is sometimes bitches got to get punched. Title it. Please title it with that. <laughs> That's a freebie from Maria. Don't say I'm not helping you. Even though violence isn't the answer, I get that. That was one of those moments, like, it was one of those, like, Django Unchained moments where you're like, yes, yes, (laughs) I'm so glad I get to see this, even if I know that probably it's not the right thing to do. So I kind of want to circle this conversation back around to um, Garden Heights. Yeah, the family in in this book is fantastic. I love Star's family. 
And I want them to adopt me. I know. And the way that they try to reach out to other people and kind of bring them in and protect them is not really a common aspect of YA fiction. A lot of YA books tend to have orphans or like a missing parent or really dysfunctional family. And Star's family isn't perfect, but they are, I'd say they're pretty functional. Yeah. And they really just rally around their kids. I call it Disney syndrome. <laughs> where like parents are dead, wicked stepmother. All the mothers like, are dead in Disney films. Or or there's some weird like Munchausen by proxy <laughs> where some mom is like keep her kid in the tower forever. Right. Or what's I'm what's the one where like you get kidnapped and eventually you start sympathizing with your kidnapper? Somebody's yelling it right now. <laughs> yeah, and we can't come up with it. No. Oh, God. What is it? It's what Belle from Beauty and the Beast has. Oh, oh come on. Rap. I did Google that one time. I was like, does Belle have this disease? And now I can't even come up with the name of it. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where you get like you get psychologically brainwashed to like sympathize with your kidnapper. And that's why you stay like that's the sort of family structure that you see in Disney films. And I think a lot of times why authors feel like in order for my character to grow, they have to transcend a bad family or they have to have something terrible happen to their family that they overcome. And that's just like not the case. Mm-mm. You know, it was so nice to see that. And I think that's really important to see with families of color where the stereotype often is mm-hmm. these families are dysfunctional, even though that's totally not fair. It's not um stockholm syndrome stockholm syndrome Syndrome. is what we were trying to come up with somebody's gonna at us and be like y'all said you have graduate degrees you don't know stockholm syndrome listen you try talking to a microphone yeah you try being on the spot for a podcast and remembering everything in your brain good luck (laughs) so to get us back on track one of the most important lines in the book and i've seen this one coming up everywhere people are quoting it and it's just a to me, it was almost like Angie Thomas just threw it in there, but it carries so much weight. As Star says, what's the point of having a voice if you're going to be silent in those moments you shouldn't be? That just really hit me. But this is on the way to Star kind of realizing that she does feel obligated to speak on Khalil's behalf and tell her truth. Maria, yeah. what do we do with that line? Like, how do we use our voices? That line kind of hit me like a punch to the gut because I have often felt that I don't do enough, right? Especially with Charlottesville and, you know, these sort of alt-right rumblings and things like that. You know, I can think back to times where people have like said terrible racist things in front of me and instead of speaking up and saying, hey, that's not okay, I clam up. And part of that is like, I'm Mexican American. You know, I worry that if I were to stand up and say something like this racist person might hurt me, which is probably a crazy thing to think. But, you know, I, I have felt a lot of personal guilt about that. And so, you know, I really wrestle with this question and I don't know that I have a good answer. Like, I'm interested in what you think pixie i mean mm-hmm. one of the actions we're taking is this podcast right yeah like 
we aren't always going to read things like The Handmaid's Tale and The Hate You Give, but we are very consciously trying to pick books that let us talk about, you know, feminism and racism and injustice. Yeah. I think you've hit something I can totally relate to that I've heard people say things that I know are not acceptable and it's hard in certain situations to speak up and say that's wrong, right? Either because I don't want to damage the relationship between me and that person. I don't want to call them out in a public way. Um, I can, I have a handful of, of very similar moments that are coming to my mind right now. And that doesn't mean that those are the only ones I'm sure it's happened many times where I hear something horrible and then I, I'm disgusted by it, but I don't know how to address it. And Mm -hmm. that's cowardly of me. So me too. I feel I'm telling you, like, this is a really raw moment for me Mm -hmm. in this podcast because I feel a massive amount of guilt about it. Yeah. Right. I, you know, occupy a certain amount of privilege and I don't know that I do enough for the people in my own community. You know, I think that the way that we try to talk about these things and how we think we can control their outcomes is something that keeps us from speaking. Like Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily our responsibility to change people's minds because we can't do that, but it is our responsibility to speak the truth. Yeah. And I struggle to figure out, you know, how to do this from a place of love. And a part of that is, you know, the current political rhetoric in this country is so charged and I I am guilty of speaking in harsh absolutes but you know you're not going to influence anybody by screaming at them I guess yeah you're definitely not going to influence them by saying nothing we are afraid of saying the wrong thing and inevitably we will I'm sure we've said wrong things today and If we did, then you can add us. We're okay with it. And I can stand corrected. But yeah, I think the attitude of being willing to stand corrected is is worth something. So I don't know that we've necessarily come up with any good ways to stand against racial injustice. I think you can get involved in your community. Yeah, there are small steps that anyone can take, I think, just in relationships with close family um, having frank conversations with them, the people that are your friends, right? Give them the opportunity to talk. If you don't have any friends that don't look like you, try to figure out ways to expand your social circle because you have a lot to learn. I say that to myself as well. Um, so just listen to those voices. And you bring up a really good point. You can't make change if you're not widening that relational circle, you know, how are you going to, you know, on some level, like, how are you even going to put your money where your mouth is to even talk to somebody who disagrees with you about race? Yeah. Right. I mean, to me, it's, and the protesting aspect is pretty important in this book and how it can be used mm -hmm. and misused, but like Mm -hmm. anybody can show up at a protest really. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, Mm -hmm. um, it's harder to have conversations 
I think, and talk to people and meet people and befriend people and try to educate yourself. Those are some really good ways to start. I agree. And so I just want to share what Ileana said on Instagram. She's at Whirly Gig World. She said something very inspiring. And she wrote, the hate you give challenges the way we perceive neighborhoods that have high poverty and crime and the stereotypes we have of young minority teenagers. I feel like we rarely have strong African-American characters in YA novels that are represented so realistically and target current issues like police brutality. After reading this book, I was definitely empowered to use my voice more when I see injustice. And so, you know, that's one thing that you can do is read diversely. Yeah. Like reading is one of the best ways to get a glimpse into lives that aren't yours. And to get inspired to make a difference. And I just think, you know, that's why the hate you give is so important. You know, do I think the hate you give is a 100% perfect book? No, I don't. You know, on some level, like some of the YA-ness bled through in ways where I was like, oh, I wish we could be a little more like hardcore about this issue. You know, I thought, you know, there was a moment where Star and... Um, her boyfriend kind of talk about being in an interracial relationship that I was kind of like confused about, you know, so there are some moments like that, but on the whole, I think the hate you give is so important because it, you know, it empowers people. Agreed. I'm so glad we moved it up and we decided to read it this month. I really am. Now we get to recommend, this is one of my favorite parts of our podcast, P.S., by the way, where we get to recommend further reading because that's kind of what we're good at, right? Yeah. We're like the rain men of books. So <laughs> you are the rain woman of books and Real Housewives. Oh, yes. I just, I just, yeah, I really embarrassed myself at work today because there was a, like a Us Weekly in the bathroom and it had one of the Real Housewives on it and I was like, <gasps> oh, I haven't seen this story. And everyone was like kind of horrified that I actually knew who that person was and was invested <laughs> in their life. So, no. Anyway. I think it's fabulous. You, We got to have our things. I like trashy romance novels, which I went to buy a copy of Eternal Pleasure by Nina Bangs. That book is getting name checked every episode. Yep. For one of our good friends. And like the one penny copies are sold out. I got mad. I will find you one. I can find you one this weekend. I might get an extra copy maybe to give away to one of our <gasps> readers. I know. I think listeners. it's time to start some giveaways. Yeah. Not not this episode. So y'all just put your pants back on. But eventually. <laughs> yeah. We're going we're gonna to have some. And so you should follow us on Instagram because I'm sure that's where we're going to do it. That's right. So anyway, back to recommended reads. I'm sorry. We got off. Yeah. So I have three. I'm trying to limit myself to three. Uh, The first is I want to start with a not recommended read. Can I do that? I mean, it's our podcast, so I can do whatever I want. Yes, you can. Okay. I am not recommending The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Wah-wah. I didn't like it. Like, I, I think I gave it like two and a half, three stars, but like, I just didn't, I didn't really like it. And I think it's because I've read books that are basically the same story, right? About a female slave narrative where she moves out and struggles or she tries to run away and like these kinds of constructions. Like I've read them before where they've been a lot better executed. And the fact that there was a real railroad 
literally pissed me off. Like, I just remember being so confused by that when I was a child and like having to work it out. And then it showed up for realsies in the Underground Railroad and I had to Google it to make sure it wasn't really real again. And I was just resentful for old wounds being opened up. Listen, to bring this back around for just a second to the Real Housewives, there is one of the Real Housewives of Atlanta named Portia who has like a family that has been active in civil rights for decades Portia okay. believed that the Underground Railroad was a literal railroad. And that was a whole storyline on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, I read this book. I was like, Colson Whitehead ripped off Portia from Real Housewives of Atlanta. He owes her royalties. So if you like this, the story of the Underground Railroad about a female slave who kind of like finds her way out of slavery... Pixie recommended Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs a couple episodes ago. Go read that. Or I would recommend another book, The Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman by Ernest J. Gaines, which is also amazing and wonderful. Book number two that I would recommend is We Gun Be Alright by Jeff Chang. Jeff Chang is uh, a professor of diversity and hip hop studies at Stanford University. And We Gonna Be Alright is short, smart, and literally should be your first stop if you want to learn about the racial tensions in America today. It is brilliant. And then the third book I would recommend is A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest J. Gaines. Have you read that? Yes, a long time ago. I co-signed that one okay. for sure. It shows you how uh, violence against black men has been institutionalized for decades. So basically what happens is a black man gets falsely accused of murder. He's innocent, but he ends up in prison anyway. And he ends up being becoming friends with a school teacher. And it's all about this relationship between um, the teacher named Grant Wiggins and um, the man named Jefferson who's been convicted of murder. So I recommend it. Five stars. Those are good ones. Thanks. Okay, so my list, um, now, first I, I picked Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's a writer for The Atlantic. <laughs> um, he put this book out in 2015, and it's been one of the most important books of the last couple of years. A lot of people have written about it. It's won a ton of awards. I think um, that Coates won like a genius grant. I mean, it's, oh, wow. yeah, it's a pretty amazing very short but compelling book and it's written as a set of kind of essays or notes that he wrote to his son about what it's like to be a black man in America and so it really really speaks to that experiential knowledge and also historical knowledge because Coates has a really amazing grasp of history and basically points out that this is not a new story it's a very old one mm -hmm. it's just a modern retelling so definitely pick that one up and like I said it's short Maybe we could read it one episode. You know, I haven't read it. It's really good. True confession. You could read it in a day. Also, he did a run of the Black Panther comic by Marvel. Yeah. And like, it sold out. So anyway, sorry. No. Sidebar. Continue on. What's your next recommendation? Uh, my next pick is a book that I discovered about 10 years ago. Um, it's called Privilege, Power, and Difference by Alan G. Johnson. And like I said, it's not a new book. It's been through a couple of revisions or I guess editions. And to me, this book is one of the best descriptors of what systematic privilege means. 
And it's very simple. I mean, it is kind of a textbook style, but for a textbook, it's very easy to understand. And he just kind of lays out how privilege works as a system. And he talks about it in terms of race, sex, heteronormativity, a whole bunch of things. And I actually have a little snippet that I want to read. Can I read a little snippet of this book? Please do. Yeah, I'd love that. So um, this is just from the introduction, and I'm jumping right into the middle of it. He says, all of us are part of the problem. There is no way to avoid that as long as we live in the world. But we could also make ourselves part of the solution if only we knew how. This book provides a way of thinking about the trouble that has the potential to help us become part of the solution by getting us unstuck. It provides a framework that is conceptual and theoretical on the one hand and grounded in the experience of everyday life on the other. Thus, it allows us to see not only where the trouble comes from, but how we as individuals are connected to it, which is the only thing that gives us the potential to make a difference. And then he goes on to talk about how he's a white male and he's heterosexual and he's professional um, and has basically every single advantage that there is. Um, So, yeah, I think this is a really good one for people who are like, what now? Like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I don't really understand why privilege I would go and read this book right away. Like I, it changed my worldview in so many different ways. Dr. Johnson also has some YouTube videos. Like if you don't want to read a book, he has some really good YouTube videos. So you could go check that out. And just kind of as a, like a tiny little bullet point number three, I have recently, mm-hmm. this is not a book, but I have recently been watching the show Blackish. Have you watched Blackish? I watched like two episodes of it and I thought it was like riotously funny. I am new to the show, but so far Mm -hmm. I am loving it. It's very funny, but it also just talks about race in a way that is so smart and relatable Mm -hmm. and and not intimidating. So, yeah, I would just check it out. Well, and Tracy Ellis Ross is in that and she is a goddess. She's fantastic. So funny. So those are my three recs for today. I think we get to kind of put a pin in the hate you give. But if you guys have feedback on this episode, we'll tell you all the places where you can reach us. We want to continue this conversation with you for a long time. So feel free to chime in later, even if you're reading this or listening to this months and months down the road. Yeah, there's a movie coming out. So people will continue talking about this book for a really long time. Maybe we can like watch it together Ooh. and do a review yeah i think that would be good or something we'll figure it out we don't know what we're doing with this podcast <laughs> we're making it up as we go yes we are okay but we get to announce our october read now <gasps> which is kind of exciting dun, 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 dun. uh it is not as heavy Mm-mm. as the hate you give but i think you're gonna love it our october read is jurassic park by michael Crichton. How excited are you, Pixie? Rawr. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've never read it. <laughs> I read it when I was a kid, so I'm super excited to come back and read it as an adult. We're going to talk about the movie a lot, I get the feeling. Oh, yeah. Um, I, 30 minutes into Jurassic Park, I just started crying, and then I cried <laughs> through the whole thing in fear. <laughs> <laughs> I have some really good stories about when I saw this movie for the first time, but I will definitely save them for the next episode. Yes, so Jurassic Park, go grab you a copy. Uh, The first intro episode is going to come out the first Friday in October. So be on the lookout for that. We are crazy excited about this one. And it's going to be a nice palate cleanser 
Yeah. I mean, I guess we could get real deep on environmentalism and into the worldish kind of things, but like honestly, we just we need to be happy for a little while, and so do you. We just want to talk about dinosaurs. <laughs> Gosh, I, I, I want to start talking about it now, but we're not no. going to nope. because this is the end. This is the end of episode four, and we made it. We all made it together. All right, so you know the deal. We are anonymous, so we need your help. If you enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed our episodes at all, please tell your friends about us. We need grassroots, word of mouth, Bernie Sanders-esque movement here. So so go for it. Yes. If you haven't subscribed already, we would love it if you would. And we would especially love it if you rated us. That kind of bumps up our algorithm. And it also makes us feel super warm and fuzzy and happy. Really, really happy. We have one rating, and I read it like every three days just to remind myself (laughs) that we have one. (laughs) So, yeah, you can find us at iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher Radio. And we're also on social media. Um, Both of us love social media. So, Twitter, we're at Misfit Book Club, at Insta, at Misfit Book Club. And then you can email us at Misfit Book Club Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And join us. We have a Goodreads page where we post questions and have discussion threads. We have one person there already, Erica. So big ups to you, Erica. If I knew your social media media handle, I would have given you a shout out earlier, but I hope this suffices. And uh, we're also starting a new thing with our books, Instagram questions. So for The Hate You Give, we posted three questions where people could chime in. And kind of chat about the book on Instagram, too. We are totally new to that. And we don't know what we're doing. But it seemed to work okay. So we're going to try it again for Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. Long story short, we're having a really good time interacting with you guys. So thank you. And keep it up. Yeah. And uh, before we leave, I want to do one shout out for another podcast. Can we do that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, We have had a really great time chatting with Torrance from Pseudophiles. And Pseudophiles is a podcast where they talk about all of those uh, mysteries that, you know, we still are interested in. So like Bigfoot and Stonehenge. Uh, We just listened, uh, Pixie and I listened to the Stonehenge episode and it was great. Yeah. I loved it. Lots of conspiracy theories and... Which I love. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I am. It's not just entertaining. Like, I actually love this stuff. Like, I was an Arthur C. Clarke mysterious world addict when I was a kid. <laughs> I love it. Well, my so brother-in-law me. My brother-in-law loves conspiracy theories, but I quickly was like, eh, maybe I shouldn't recommend it to him because he actually believes all these conspiracy theories. Whereas Pseudophiles kind of explores them and talks about them intelligently. And my brother-in-law is just like, yes, it's true. It's real. So um, just go check them out. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, they're on iTunes. So just type in Pseudophiles and bam. Yeah. You've got them. And you won't be sad. No. So. So thanks, guys, for the shout out on your podcast. And uh, but we're recommending you because we love you and we think you're great. So and with that, I think we're done. Yeah. Thanks for listening. That's right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>